whenever I got out of college, I began my career teaching and coaching for uh, Union High School. I taught seventh grade science and coached eighth grade football and JV baseball. And, and after a few years of doing that, but also doing ministry on the side with River Oaks Presbyterian Church, they uh, offered me the job as their youth minister. But before I did that, I had to come in and, and interview with the elders uh, for the position. So we, we came into the interview and one of the first questions they asked me was this, very simple question, uh, but very profound. They said, why do you want to be a pastor? And the story that came to mind in that moment was this story right here. Uh, when it says that Jesus looked on the crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I said, you know, whenever I see people, uh, especially lost people, said, I see them as sheep without a shepherd. Like I see, my, my heart goes out to them. I have compassion for them. I want to help them. I want to teach them about Jesus, who is the good shepherd. And the reason why I want to teach them about Jesus, who's the good shepherd, is because I believe that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of my heart and the deepest longings of their hearts as well. And that's why I want to go into the ministry. And uh, tonight, as we look at this passage, that's simply what I want us to see together this evening, is that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings and the deepest desires of our hearts. And that it's Jesus that we feed on every day. And it's Jesus that we're going to offer to people as they come and they worship with us. So we're going to look at three simple things from this passage. We're going to see that Jesus... Um, three ways that he satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts. Jesus knows us, Jesus leads us, and Jesus feeds us. Jesus knows us, Jesus leads us, and Jesus feeds us. First, let's, let's look at how Jesus knows us. This is Mark chapter 6. Uh, we're going to start at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Before this passage, Jesus had gathered his 12 disciples, and he had sent them out on a mission to do ministry. He, he gave them all the instructions they needed, uh, which was basically, hey, don't take anything with you <laughs> and rely on the generosity of everybody else. They're going to provide what you need. And I want you to go and cast out unclean demons and teach. And that's just what they did. So now they've come back from their missionary efforts. They return to Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and says, you know what you need? You need to come away with me. Now, the interesting thing is this wasn't a calm time. It wasn't like, okay, you've done your job. Everything's calm and peaceful. Everything's good. And there's nothing going on. Now we're just going to pull away. This was in the midst of more busyness. It says that people were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They were busy. There was ministry to be done. There was spirits that needed to be cast out. There was teaching that needed to be given. And yet in the midst of all that busyness, Jesus peers into their hearts he knows exactly what they need. And he says, I want you to come away and be with me. Let's be together. And I look at that and just think, oh, Jesus knows exactly what we need. 
He knows that we need to be with him. He knows that we need to be with God. He knows that the busyness of serving him and doing ministry does not take priority over the business of just being with him. He knows that the busier his disciples become, the more important it is for them to be with him. He knows that that he doesn't want just want us to be on mission for him. He wants us to be with him. Like, can you just let that sink in? That the Lord of the universe, who has created and sustained all things, wants us to be with him. That that is his desire. I think sometimes when we think about Jesus and we think about ministry, we think of him as this cold, cruel taskmaster that really just wants us to get out there and just do the work of ministry, right? If we really loved him, we would be ministering, we'd be sharing the gospel with people all the time. If we really loved him, we would give up every single thing that we own and have nothing, and we would just give it all away and and live uh, totally destitute of anything good in life. If we really loved him, then we would live cold, cruel, austere lives. And I think this just shows you that that's not true at all that God knows exactly what we need. He knows that we need to be with him. That he is warm and kind and compassionate to us. That he loves us and wants to be with us. He knows that our hearts were made for him. Like St. Augustine said, he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find its rest in thee. God knows that the thing that we need more than anything is to, to rest in him and be with him. Uh, not long ago, I was at a, uh, a party with some of our friends in Stillwater. Uh, this was before, kind of before COVID had hit in full force, and we really knew exactly how bad it was. We were still kind of getting together and doing some things. We were trying to social distance, but we were breaking all the rules. And, uh, and then you're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> And as we were there sitting around the, the fire talking, uh, we were talking about one, one woman was telling a story about how her, her parents' church was just so unfriendly and so unloving to people that when visitors would come, they wouldn't greet them all. They wouldn't care for them. And then uh, another friend of ours just said, yeah, you know, that's really sad because really all Jesus wants us to do is share the gospel with people. That's really all we're here for. I felt so sad for her in that moment. I just looked at her and I said, no. It's like, that is not what Jesus wants at all. Jesus wants us to receive his love and give his love to other people. We're not just ministry robots that Jesus sends out and says, okay, I just want you to do my work all the time. We're his beloved children. We're God's beloved children that Jesus cares for and loves. And God wants us to be with him. And he goes with us when we go out in ministry. And, you know, as, as your future pastor, I just want to say that the, the first thing I want to do is I want to get to know you. I want to get to know your past because it's shaped you and it's formed who you are today. I want to get to know your present. I want to know what's going on in your heart right now. What are the, the deepest desires and longings you have because I want to enter into that. I want to be with you. Um, and I want, to, I want to be with you in the future. You know, I want to be with you whenever your babies are brought into this world. 
I want to come to the hospital and, and pray for those babies. I want to be with you uh, when you get job promotions and when you get laid off. I want to be with you uh, whenever you get married. I want to be with you whenever you go to a funeral. I want to be with you uh, whenever the day comes and we have to send you or your, your child off to college. I want to know you and be with you as your pastor. And I want us to know each other and care for each other. Because that's what, that's what Jesus did. He was with his disciples. So the first thing is that Jesus knows us. The second thing that we see is that Jesus leads us. Look at verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now the interesting thing about this phrase, they were like sheep without a shepherd, is that most of the time it's used in the Jewish context it's not used in a pastoral context. It's not used, like when we think about sheep without, a, sheep without a shepherd, we think of Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Very pastoral context, right? This phrase, sheep without a shepherd, is actually used in a military context several times in the Old Testament. Uh, it's used as a figure of speech for leaders like Moses who led God's people out of Egypt into the wilderness and, and was really sort of a, a, a military-type leader for them. It's used several times to describe Joshua's ministry. Joshua took over after Moses, and he led God's people into the promised land. He led them on these military campaigns where they took over the promised land and, and, and were really supposed to take hold of the promises of God. So when the passage tells us that they were like sheep without a shepherd, what it's saying is that when Jesus saw the crowd, he saw people without a purpose, without guidance, and without direction. He saw people who needed a leader. And so Jesus came in and said, I'm your leader. Like Moses who led you out of Egypt, I'm here to lead you into salvation. Like Joshua, who was there to lead you into the promised land, I am here to lead you into glory. And then it says, it, it says it, he did something interesting. He began to teach them many things. Uh, he, he's a, it's, a, it's interesting because he's a military leader, right? So he's leading them in this conquest, but he doesn't give them guns. What does he do? He gives them teaching. And it, Mark is interesting because Mark doesn't focus in on the teachings of Jesus. He focuses a lot in the person of Jesus. And so here he doesn't give us that teaching. But later on, he gives us a few teachings that I just, I just got to think were in Jesus' head at this time. One is this. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So what kind of leader is Jesus? Jesus is a leader who suffers. Jesus is a leader who sacrifices. And Jesus is a leader who calls his people to suffer and to sacrifice with him so that they can experience life. And then later on, Jesus says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So again, Jesus is saying that he is a leader who came to serve. 
He's a leader unlike any other leader. Most, most leaders in the Roman culture would have been grasping for power. They've been trying to climb up the power ladder to get as much power as they could so they could control the world around them. And indeed, that's probably what the Jews thought about Jesus. They thought Jesus came in to be this military leader that would defeat Rome and free them. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not the type of leader I am. I'm a leader that suffers and sacrifices because that's where true life and true joy are found. Uh, Chuck Feeney is a great example of this type of leadership. Uh, Chuck Feeney was a billionaire. He became a billionaire by setting up uh, shops in airports called duty-free shoppers. And they basically sold high-end luxury goods to rich travelers who would come through the airport. And he became a billionaire at that. But Chuck knew that all that money was not going to make him happy. So this is what he decided to do 40 years ago. He decided that he was going to try to give away all of his billions of dollars before he died. And two weeks ago, he did it. It took him four decades, but he gave away $8 billion. He set aside $2 million for him and his wife to live on, which is not a lot. He lived very frugally for the rest of his life. And he gave away over 375,000% more than what he has now. And all he got for it was a plaque (laughs) that hangs up in his plain office that says, congratulations for giving away $8 million in philanthropic giving. He didn't get a pink Cadillac or anything like that. And when he was asked why he did it, he said, I see little reason to delay giving when so much good can be achieved through supporting worthwhile causes. Besides, it's a lot more fun to give while you live than while you're dead. And not only did he give all that money away, but he led others like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett to try to give away billions and billions of dollars before they died. Chuck Feeney was leading a a rebellion, a revolution against our culture of consumerism and, and consumption And saying, no, that's not the way to life. The way to life is to give this away. The way to life is through suffering and sacrifice, not through selfishness and consumption. And that's the type of rebellion that Jesus is leading. And that's the type of rebellion that we get to be a part of. And that's the type of rebellion that I have to lead. And I'm scared to death to do it. (laughs) That means it's going to hurt. Jesus is, is leading people into a life of suffering and sacrifice because that's what brings life and joy to people. And that, Lord willing, is what I will try to do as your pastor. Uh, I read a book once on uh, pastoral leadership, and he said, you know what, leaders are crazy. I think it was Dan Allender. He said, leaders are crazy because what, what happens is there's a fire in the church, right? And everybody else runs from the fire. And what leaders have to do is they have to run into the fire. And so, um, thanks for signing me up for that. (laughs) No, I'm delighted to do it. Uh, Because I think that's where life is found. And that's what I'm going to call us to do as a church. Together, we're going to run into the fire together to help people, to love them, to care for them. Because that's where true life and true joy is found. It's not came, it's, true life does not come from looking for your own needs and desires first. It comes from looking at the needs and desires of those around us and saying, how can I serve? 
How can I sacrifice? How can I lay down my life for yours? So Jesus knows us, Jesus leads us, and lastly, Jesus feeds us. Look at Mark 6, 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. I love that it says that they all ate and were satisfied. John calls this a sign. The, the gospel of John calls this a sign. And a sign always points to something else. And, and there's two ways this sign points. One is it points back again to Moses. Whenever Moses brought Israel out of Egypt and they got into the wilderness, what happened? They got hungry and they started grumbling. So what did God do? God gave them manna. He fed them in the wilderness. Right here, these people, Jesus sees them. He sees a group of people that need purpose, they need direction, they need a leader. They think what they need is a physical, political king. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. What you need is a spiritual savior that can satisfy the deepest needs and longings of your heart. You need the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Let me give it to you. And so he takes this bread and these fish and he feeds it to people. He satisfies them here. And then it points forward to what? The Lord's Supper. It's interesting. It says that Jesus took the food, he blessed the food, he broke it, and he gave. And when you look at the passages that talk about the Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper, similar, similar language is used where, G, where Jesus broke the bread, he blessed it, he gave it to his disciples. Paul takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to the disciples. Here in a moment, well, we have these little cups with crackers and stuff in them, but we're gonna imagine that I take the bread, I break it, I bless it, and I give it to you. What does that represent? It represents Jesus' broken body and shed blood on the cross. This meal is pointing forward to Jesus's crucifixion, where on the cross, Jesus will satisfy all of our spiritual needs through his broken body and his shed blood. Because our ultimate need, our our ultimate desire, all our ultimate longings, desires, and hopes are all met in God. And what Jesus is doing on the cross is he's reuniting us with God. Because sin, this is us right here, this is God. Sin separated us from God. And because sin separated us from God, there's that, 
that God shaped hole in our heart and sin and, and the debt of our sin separated us. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he died to remove that sin so that we could be separated and we could be satisfied in God again. Jesus is leading a rebellion of people who satisfy themselves in God alone and not in this world. Christians and non-Christians both agree that this world cannot satisfy us. Christian thinker C.S. Lewis said, if I find in my life desire that this world cannot satisfy, then the only logical answer is that I was made for another world. If you find in your heart a desire this world cannot satisfy, then you must have been made for another world. You're made for a world with God where he satisfies you. Similarly, agnostic Aldous Huxley said this. Aldous Huxley wrote, Brave New World. Sooner or later, one asks, even of Shakespeare, even of Beethoven, is that all? Christian thinker, non-Christian thinker, both saying the same thing, that this world cannot satisfy us. If that's not enough, there's the great philosopher Tom Brady, millionaire, Super Bowl champion, married to the supermodel wife, He wins three Super Bowls. Then in an interview, they asked him, how does it feel? And he says, honestly, I think there's got to be more than this. I know in my life, I've experienced the same thing. Whether it's uh, parting and pursuing pleasure, or it's being religious and pursuing self-righteousness and Phariseeism, I have seen time and again that Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy me. that Jesus alone has the words of life. And so each week, or each, each time I teach each week, uh, I want to pour out God's word. I want to feed Jesus to you because only he has the words of life. Only he can satisfy you. Only he can meet your, meet your deepest needs and desires. He wants to feed you. And for some crazy reason, he's going to use me. And, and you know what? Here's what I need you to know on the front end. It is impossible for me to feed you. It's impossible. Um, the, the job that I have in Stillwater, it's, it's a great job. It's an amazing job. Um, I love it. But there are so many things that I have to do in that job. Raise money, meet new students, uh, disciple students who have been there, build relationships with donors, maintain relationships with um, church members, plan events. And then I have to, then I'm like a person. So I need to like have hobbies and spend time with my wife and my kids, all those things. There's been numerous times when I have just sat in my office and put my head in my hands and said, this job is impossible. I can't do it. And now I take this job and Ricky tells me this job is harder than that job. I I can't do it. What Jesus called these disciples to do is impossible. It is. But what, but what Jesus commands, Jesus also provides. What he called the apostles to do was impossible. What he calls me to do is impossible. If it's going to happen, it's going to be up to Jesus. Jesus is the one who's going to feed you. I can't do it. It's impossible. And Jesus is going to, is going to be the one that feeds everybody that comes to those doors. Whoever worships with us, Jesus is going to have to feed them. But he can do it. Because he's the Lord of the universe, and he can feed 
everyone. Everyone can be satisfied. And there's even more food left over. I love that they added the food is left over, right? Because if there was no food at the party, you wouldn't come, right? If you were late to the party and you knew there wasn't going to be food there, you wouldn't come to a party, right? There's always going to be food in Jesus, at Jesus' party. There's always going to be bread here. There's always going to be more to go around. And here's, what, here's what's amazing about it. God is going to use us to serve it. Jesus could have handed out the food on his own. Jesus could have magically made the food appear to the people. I actually don't know how Jesus like did the miracle. I really want to be there. I would really love to see how that happened. But they give us this, this, this one detail is that Jesus gave the bread and the fish to the disciples and the disciples are the ones who actually carried it out. Jesus is going to give us his body and we're going to carry it out and feed it to other people. Not just me, not just Steve, not just the elders, everyone in this room. We're going to come and feed on Jesus and then we're going to go out there and we're going to feed him to others. And he's the one who's going to nourish them. He's the one that's going to satisfy him. And they're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Just like we get to taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be your pastor. It's a privilege. Um, I'm excited about doing this together. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would help us. Father in heaven, uh, what a kind, loving, powerful, beautiful Savior we have in Jesus. Thank you so much that um, he knows us, he leads us, and he feeds us. That's good news to our ears because we need it. Please, please, please help us to, to feed on you and be satisfied in you each and every time we come together to worship you. Nourish our hearts. Help us to taste and see that you are good. And then give us the, the Holy Spirit-fueled uh, boldness and passion and willingness to go out and, and feed others. Father, we pray that you would invite more and more people here to worship Jesus with us, to feast with you, to feast on you. I pray that... Um, you alone have the words of eternal life. Help us to believe that. In Jesus' name, amen. And in God's providence, we have a week when we get to take communion together. And so now we're going to, uh, we're going to observe uh, the Lord's Supper together. And like I said in the sermon, this is a picture of us coming to Jesus open-handed, coming to Jesus saying, I've got nothing to bring. I've got nothing to offer. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy me. There's nothing in this world that can fill me. I need you, Jesus. And Jesus says, here you go. He said this, he's gonna say, this is my body. I want you to take this and eat it. Let it nourish you and strengthen you. Let it comfort you by knowing that I am with you. This is my blood. It's, it's my blood that cleanses you and transforms you. Let it wash over you. Let it change you. Taste and see that I'm good. 
Let's pray that God would set apart these elements uh, for that use. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to, to taste and see that you're good tonight. I pray that you would set apart these ordinary elements, that you would enliven them with the Holy Spirit to help us nourish on you by faith. I pray that we would taste and see that you are good, that you satisfy us, that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. That which I received, I do pass on to you. At the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which was given for you. Do this and remember to me. In a like manner, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this and remember to me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. And when he comes, there's going to be a party. And we're all going to go there and eat with him. And it's going to be amazing.